This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Converse Digital. Tom Martin and his team instinctively ideate and innovate ways to create painless prospecting that combines the power of email, social media, and content marketing with buyer behavior science to shorten sales cycles and increase sales conversion percentages. We featured one of Tom's concepts in our latest book, Destination Leadership, and you can learn more about his work at ConverseDigital.com, where you can also find a link to score Tom's book called The Invisible Sale. And now on to our show. Our guest today is Steve Paganelli, CDME and Head of Destination Marketing for the Americas at TripAdvisor. Joining TripAdvisor in January of 2013, Steve spearheads innovative ways to connect DMOs with 490 million monthly TripAdvisor users. And he supports a seasoned sales team and manages strategic relationships with key industry organizations. He has three decades of travel industry leadership experience, including the launch of a successful digital agency serving destinations, service as the CEO of two DMOs, and various conference center management roles. Steve is a certified destination marketing executive, CDME, and now serves on the German National Tourist Office Advisory Board, Destinations International CDME Advisory Board, and is chair of their Partner Advisory Council, DMA West Foundation Board, and the Puerto Rico Advisory Board. Steve Paganelli, welcome to DMOU. Thanks so much, Bill. It's really great to be with you. An honor, actually. Oh, thank you. Honors. <laughs> we are really excited to have you on, and thanks so much for uh, for taking time out during such a uh, a strange period in our lives. And it's been a long, strange trip for you and I, brother, because we first got to work together when you were CEO of the DMO in New Haven, Connecticut. And I still remember a brilliant concept that came out of one of our strategic planning sessions with your board. If I recall, 10 of them were hoteliers. You had just taken a pretty steep budget cut. You were facing the loss of a sales position or two. And one of the hoteliers said, hey, we need a CVB salesperson out there banging on doors and bringing us business. I'm willing to put $10,000 down. If we each put $10,000 down, we're not, you know, we're only out 10 if it doesn't work, but we'll have $100,000. We can get somebody, get them out there on the road. And if it works next year, I pledge I'll put in 20 and we can have two salespeople as long as y'all do the same thing. And everybody nodded and saying, that's a great idea. And it was a great idea. And it never happened, but it was a great idea. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it was, it was one of those great examples of, of the hotel community, the local tourism industry really believing in the work of the DMO and sort of putting their money where their mouth was in terms of a willingness to step up when the need arose. So it was, it was refreshing. Well, I thought of that as we scheduled this call and that very well may be what we come to as we emerge from COVID-19 is the hotel community you know, may be in that position to say, hey, I can't add another salesperson, but I can probably squeak out $10,000 if everybody else does. I mean, they're hurting just as badly as the DMO world are. I mean, we're, we're joined at the hip when it comes to loss of revenue. But I think we're going to see some really fascinating, innovative ways to get both of our interests back on our feet. So time for our three questions. And the first one is, we often think of our friends at Longwoods International and Destination Analyst when we think of research into the mind of travel consumers. But TripAdvisor is able to discern a ton of insights from the traffic that you record each and every day. As we look forward to when the world begins to travel again, what are you seeing out there? 
Yeah, it's certainly a crazy mixed up bag. Um, you know, I think it's important to remember that TripAdvisor is a demand side platform, which means travelers come to TripAdvisor solely because they're thinking about travel and more specifically about traveling. Um, so when they navigate to a specific destination, it's because they're, you might say, dreaming, given the current state of things, about that destination. So those 20 million daily visitors drive about 2 billion daily interactions. Um, and each of them provides insights into when they're thinking about traveling, who they're planning to travel with, uh, what kinds of attractions and restaurants they like, you know, and on and on. And perhaps most importantly, and I think relatively unique to TripAdvisor, they're engaging in direct conversations with one another in our forums. So what does all that mean for this kind of crazy COVID world we all inhabit now. I think what's exciting is we continue to see in our forums uh, that the discussions between travelers uh, suggest a really strong desire to get back out there. And the fact that they're evolving plans based on stay-at-home orders and travel restrictions rather than any long-term shifts in the motivation to travel. So getting into the numbers part, um, about 40% cite having made changes to travel plans only because they had to make those changes, rules and regulations you might you might file that under. But I also don't want to be Pollyanna about it because a near equal 38% made changes due to health concerns. People have concerns about their safety. But here's the good news. Nearly all travelers, 97% indicated that they would feel comfortable traveling within six months of COVID being under control. And two thirds say they would feel comfortable traveling within two months. As we saw with spring, tra spring travel plans, many of them uh, with fall travel plans, they don't want to change those just yet. They don't want to change them until they absolutely have to. And of course, you know, there are some travelers in, in some of the surveys that we're doing of our, our travelers who are even more bullish about getting out there within one month or within a few weeks, and they'll always be that set. What is comforting and I think encouraging for the destinations is that the majority want to get out there and they want to get out there sooner rather than later. We dove a little bit more deeply into that, and about 82% are excited to plan their next trip post-COVID. And again, that two-thirds number is, is kind of consistent. Two-thirds of them spent time in the last week planning and researching potential trips to take. And almost half of them have spent up to five hours in the last week planning their next trip post-COVID. So, you know, I, I think we hear a lot about all the on folks' hands these days. Um, I wish I could say I'm one of them. Unfortunately, I'm not. But it's clear that a lot of folks are putting that free time to use, thinking about their next trip and, and travels. I think one of the questions I would have, and I'm not sure that you can delve into this because you're really looking at intent rather than the actual trip, but my biggest fear is, is we have this pent up demand, but depending on how long this goes, will we have the resources as you know, we're, we're spending down our savings as we're running up our credit cards. There's no question that we want to travel, yeah. but will we be able to? No, it's, it's the concern that lingers for me too, Bill. I mean, you know, um, so many of our wallets have been impacted by this, both, you know, short term and sort of longer term implications of that. What's interesting in, is that in some of our data and actually data that I've seen from others, I can't recall whether it was Destinations Analyst or Longwoods International, but we're seeing um, some data that suggests that travelers will tap into whatever resources they have to travel as soon as they can get out there. The question is, will that be a temporary spike that we, we get immediately out of the gates that, that tails back off? Or is that something that's kind of lasting and self-sustaining? There's been a lot of conversation about how this situation differs from September 11th and differs from the economic downturn of 08 and 09. And I think one of those that I heard recently on a call with someone from um, American Express Travel was that in those situations, upscale travelers, luxury travelers, uh, there wasn't as much of an impact to their travel plans. 
And what they're seeing among that market today is a more significant impact and hesitancy to travel. Because unlike economics and other kinds of things, COVID impacts everybody equally. And so the risk is equal for everybody. Do those things also permeate sort of the decision making that happens when we do see some control around the situation? So there is the question of timing and when do we have COVID under control? There's the question of based on that timing, what do our checkbooks look like, our checking accounts look like? And then there is that sort of comfort that travelers will have and and what will their travel demands look like. And we've started to dive into that a little bit. And again, it's it's been reinforced by every study you've seen out there. Initially, staying closer to home, initially interest in visiting friends and family, maybe in a nearby county or state, and then branching out from there as sort of we get our feet back under ourselves and, and, and become a little bit more adventurous. Um, and I think we'll see some of that waiver also by generational right. category too. Yeah. And the cruel twist of fate is if this does turn into more of a drive destination, two to three hours at max, those are going to be more rural communities, which probably have smaller DMO budgets, which have been decimated. And so will the small yeah. destinations that are perfect for this next summer to fall to winter of travel, will they be able to get the word out in any way other than social? And so that's going to be the challenge. Yeah. It's a great point, Bill, because I think, you know, we have a wealth of these smaller destinations that you talk about, frankly, a lot more of them than there are big, big destinations. Um, And the competition is going to be fierce for that local drive, um, you know, or that local road trip. I was having a conversation with a destination marketer down in Florida recently and, and remembering my family would hop in the family car every summer and drive from New York down to Florida you know, will we see more of that um, as well in the initial months? Um, So not necessarily limited to just our sort of, you know, 100 mile circumference, but the old family road trip. Is there potential for that to return? Yeah, one could hope. Exactly. So TripAdvisor just celebrated its 20th anniversary. Now, people forget, but you launched before MySpace was a thing, before Facebook. Share with us some of the statistics of where you are today and where TripAdvisor is headed next. Yeah, sure. It's actually kind of funny. I was listening to um, your DMOU with Mike Gamble, uh, like, gosh, two months ago or something like that. And uh, and he was sharing that it was Searchwide's 20th anniversary this year. So I had no idea that we launched the same time. And I'm just hoping that we can be as influential uh, in our impact to the industry as they have been. <laughs> so, Well, you are. You know you are. <laughs> but uh, I will say, and, and actually Searchwide was very impactful on, on my life and career for sure. Um, I will say, actually, during last summer's peak travel season, TripAdvisor had nearly a half billion uh, unique monthly visitors. And that has made us, for the last probably nine or 10 years, the largest travel guidance platform. But I, you know, we talk a lot about scale, and I don't even think that that's necessarily the real story. I, I think the real story centers on trust. You know, unfortunately, trust is something that's been in diminishing supply these days. And yet, two thirds of global travelers visit TripAdvisor during the planning process. Mm-hmm. And over 80% of those, in, again, in various studies, indicate they won't book anything before consulting other travelers on our platform. I mean, it's just amazing when you think about the impact in those 20 years that this one platform has had on the way, on the way we travelers sort of think about and, and plan travel and the confidence that it gives us to do that. Oxford Economics has done a study the last, I want to say, four or five years looking at the influence of TripAdvisor. 
And in, in the last version of that, last year in 2019, found that a half a trillion dollars was directly influenced by uh, TripAdvisor and its impact on travelers and traveler decision-making. And when you think about the trust piece, we've done a bunch of studies over the last year or so and seen that TripAdvisor holds the highest trust scores across many other sites, platforms, and information resources across every generational set, from Gen Z through, you know, through Boomer. And I have to admit, it's even, even working for TripAdvisor, I sometimes find myself wondering, you know, what is it, the magic that sort of makes people... Um, as committed or, or, or placing TripAdvisor on sort of that pedestal that they have. And a hotelier and sustainability consultant crystallized it for me re- recently. Um, he said that they see reviews across a variety of platforms now. It, it's not just TripAdvisor. He said, but the only reviews that matter to him and the hotels that he works with are the ones that appear on TripAdvisor. So that was a pretty bold statement. So I, I, I probed a bit, of course, and asked him, you know, why? I mean, you know, you're seeing more reviews from some other places. You know, why is TripAdvisor so important? And his answer was that the reviews on other platforms are often just like star type ratings or brief comments that lack context, yeah. whereas TripAdvisor reviewers are constructive and specific in the ways that they help travelers make decisions. And hoteliers actually improve their service and offerings. And so it really does come back to that notion of trust and authenticity, um, which probably matters now more than ever. You know, and that's very interesting because as TripAdvisor burst onto this with the beginnings of negative reviews, a, a lot of people in the hotel industry really I mean, you were the enemy. Yeah. And for it to have evolved into that amazing level of trust is uh, is pretty sensational. Yeah. When I when I left managing a DMO, running a DMO to launch a DMO division for a digital agency, that digital agency's specialty was hotels. And at the time, I was only loosely familiar with TripAdvisor. And yet this digital agency was doing a ton of work for their hotels on TripAdvisor. So when we launched this DMO division, there was a lot of interest in taking TripAdvisor reviews and putting them onto the DMO websites we were building. And as you say, a lot of DMOs were, were very reticent about that. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we, TripAdvisor made it possible for DMOs to hide certain reviews and, and, and limit it to only the, the popular ones and, and more DMOs were familiar with that. And I think we made an effective case of why having the reviews on those sites was productive, but it wasn't until I joined TripAdvisor that I realized or learned that out of a five bubble possible review score, our average in the seven plus years I've been with TripAdvisor has been somewhere between a 4.13 and a, like a 4.34 or something like that. Really high, high scores. And it's, it's amazing. And, it, and it's so counter to a lot of the review content you see on other platforms. Yeah. And so not surprisingly, again, a lot of studies have been done about this. Focusrite in particular does a, a big annual thing, I think, on the subject. And what they find is that travel, first and foremost, is an innately positive experience. Even if you think about you know, the negative experience you might have on a flight or maybe a check-in or something like that, overall, travel is a positive experience. And the travelers on TripAdvisor who share their feedback, who share their reviews and opinions, are doing it because they see it as a role to pay it forward. 
And so they end up concentrating on the positive much more than they do the negative. And that's not to say you don't find negative reviews. Of course you do. But it speaks to something I think mm -hmm. that's actually bigger than TripAdvisor. And I think that's sort of the power of the travel industry and the travel experiences that we have. Well, and for those of us that are consumers of TripAdvisor, knowing that 4.2 is the average, you really need to walk away from a two-star. <laughs> you, you, because everybody's so positive and you've got a two, you really screwed up. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's also interesting because travelers have learned how to navigate reviews. And I, and I do this myself. Like I'll disregard the most glowing review and I'll disregard the, you know, sure. the, 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 the most negative review. And then I really start to filter from there and look for reviews from people who are kind of like me or think like me, which surprisingly you can tell either from their reviews or by looking across multiple reviews that they've, they've submitted, things like that. Yeah. Well, as I said, when you came on to the scene, TripAdvisor, feared by many, feared by DMOs, feared by hotels. However, smart marketers from the beginning, I think, and more and more every day, see TripAdvisor as a sensational opportunity to connect and communicate with their consumers. So tell us, because I don't think a lot of DMOs are aware of the breadth of the offerings that you make. I mean, you know, for those that, that saw you initially in an adversarial role, they can now partner with you for significantly greater reach. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think it's it's very true. And that's, I say that despite the fact that we work with 800 or 900 DMOs globally. So even though we work with a lot of DMOs, I still think that there are many of those that do work with us and many of those that don't, that don't really understand all the different ways that we can kind of support their mission and their objectives. The, the most obvious and, and certainly the one that puts sort of money in our wallet, if you will, if I can be crass, is, is the advertising and marketing piece. They do that by targeting travelers for whom the destination is already on the consideration list. They sure. do it for travelers who are located in their core feeder markets. They target travelers who are considering their competitors and, and they look at travelers who are kind of aligned you know, behaviorally with the destination's offering. And so those four tactics and a host of related solutions around them allow many of our DMO partners to sort of employ a full funnel strategy. But that is just one piece of really four core areas that we work with destinations. The next is, is around content. In, in the past five years, and particularly in the last two, really, we've expanded content available on the site to supplement what has been dominantly a user-generated content platform. Um, and that's been our backbone. And, and now DMOs are creating and repurposing content that they're using through other channels to reach that massive yet targeted audience that we have. And then sort of an extension of that in the third area is around content syndication. We list uh, or have listings for over 8 million biz businesses on TripAdvisor. Um, and yet we still work with destinations where a portion of their constituency or their membership is not on the platform. So we work with destinations to import their stakeholder list to ensure that their members or, again, constituents can be found on the site. That's a free functionality that we offer. Um, and the same is true for um, a lot of that content that, that I mentioned earlier. We also work, as I mentioned, with the agency I used to be with to integrate TripAdvisor review content onto their own channels. So um, syndicating content is really a a two-way function for us with destinations. And then I think that the fourth and kind of final way that we work with destinations is in many ways the most impactful. And it, it was really your opening question to me about data. We make a tremendous amount of data and insights available uh, to the destinations that we work with uh, from um, understanding sort of what their market share looks like relative to their competitive set, how that is changing over time, 
Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm most excited about that we've been doing in, in various formats over the last 18 months or so is really looking at what is the lift in behaviors from travelers who are exposed to a DMO's advertising or messaging on TripAdvisor versus those who still went on to visit the destination, but they were never exposed to the DMO's messaging. And what we find time and again is this incredible lift that DMOs are driving for their communities. We see it in the amount of attractions content that uh, those travelers who've seen the DMOs ads end up consuming. We see it in ADRs and length of stay. Uh, We see it in the um, consumption of restaurant content. So that ability for a, a DMO to be able to say, here's what happens without us, and here's what happens with us is so incredibly important in this day and age. Probably probably always. I mean, for as long as I've been involved with DMOs, that question of do we need the DMO? What what you know, I have had legislators say to me, well, people already come here. Why do we need to spend money advertising? And and you know, I, I have been in the business for a long time, as you yeah. pointed out, unfortunately, at the beginning. And you know, and that that hasn't changed. That has been consistent, unfortunately. Um, so uh, you know, I think those kinds of insights and other kinds of research that we conduct on behalf of the destinations that we work with, I think is one of the most powerful ways that we support and work with them. You know, a few minutes ago, I mentioned that it was your 20th anniversary and, you know, what can we look for in the future? When we talked prior to this call, you were saying that, you know, obviously the, the anniversary was going to launch I think this month or, or maybe last month. And of course, COVID kind of got in the way. Yeah. What changes will we see going forward for DMOs? Or, or are most of the changes that we're going to see in the next year on this 20th anniversary more consumer faced? No, they are both actually. Um, you know, I, I will say this and not just because I, I manage our, dis, our DMO efforts at TripAdvisor, but, you know, when I think about the partners that we work with, DMOs share sort of a most favored nation status, if you will. Because like TripAdvisor, like our platform, DMOs are focused on all sectors of the travel uh, industry, as are we. And so as we have been moving down the path towards our 20th anniversary, um, thinking about a a, a rebranding and evolution associated with that, DMOs have very much been at the forefront of sort of what we've thought about relative to that. So it might make sense for me to take a step back and talk a little bit about the, the brand effort and the platform changes that are happening and then sort of talk about what that means in terms of destinations. You know, one of the things that became apparent as we prepared for this 20th anniversary is that we have this sort of outsized position in the marketplace, but we've never really put a stake in the ground in terms of what the importance of travel is and the fact that our platform in particular is really focused on showcasing the good out there. You know, good means different things to different people, but at the end of the day, we're all looking for that good destination to visit. We're looking for that good hotel to stay at. And we are on TripAdvisor because we want to share the good experiences we've had with others. And so a big part of this 20th anniversary has really been transforming our brand to reflect that and to kind of put that stake in the ground about the importance of travel. That needed to be, and I think is by design, much more than just sort of a flashy marketing campaign. Of course, there's one of those associated as well, but it really is about preparing TripAdvisor to meet the needs of travelers for the next 20 years. And one of the things that I think emerged is that the reason that TripAdvisor has become so influential for travelers 
is at the end of the day, it's about people-powered planning. It's, it's about this idea that we trust the opinions of others to help guide us and help shape the decisions we make. And we're most interested, and this is, I think, one of the areas that we're going to be looking to get better at, at having the, the experience of people who are like us, who've been to a place before, help shape those decisions, right? The more similar a person is, the more value that their opinions have. Yeah. And I mentioned you can get at that a little bit in reading a person's reviews and comments, but that's something that we're really focused on emphasizing more on the site. And so what does that mean for destinations? I, I think what you're going to find, I, I mentioned earlier that we've done a lot to supplement our user-generated content with other content, content from destinations, from other publishers, from influencers. And we're at a stage where, where we are now, um, we've learned from the expansion of that content and now are in a position to activate that content in different ways to help move travelers down that purchase path to ultimately choose a destination, which, you know, for me is the piece that I focus most on. Um, obviously, we want to help them choose a hotel and all those other things as well. But for my little piece of the world, it's really focused on that destination selection process. It's also causing us to think more boldly about the opportunities that uh, a destination has to be part of what we're doing. And that means up until now, most of the things we've done with destinations have been things that we've done within sort of the, the, the confines of, of our website. Um, but our audience engages with us far beyond just our website. Uh, they engage with us through our social platforms. They engage with us through other marketing and advertising we're doing. And so a, a big focus for us in 2020 and beyond is creating more opportunities for destinations to be part of that messaging and to work with us beyond just our own website, but all of the different places that we're influencing and touching travelers. And then the last not the last, but the last piece that I'll spend time on is um, is data. Uh, and again, you, you sort of set this up nicely at the beginning. We, we sit on this amazing amount of fresh data, meaning it's data from what a user did five minutes ago, not what they did two days ago or four weeks ago on some other platform um, that we own um, and that we don't make available through other channels. And so we are beginning to open up the ways we utilize that data for destinations and even working on sort of portability of data. I had a conversation about 18 months ago with a, a prominent agency in the space. And, and one of the challenges that he mentioned was in this wave of personalization, the data points that many DMOs have to access to drive personalization in their own channels is limited. They need a partner for that. And we're in a position today to be the partner to help power that personalization through their own channels. So I'm really excited about that and the potential that that sort of offers in taking our partnerships with destinations to a very different level. Yeah, it's been an exciting evolution. So for those that wanna learn more about these new opportunities and the existing opportunities, where do they find more information? Thankfully, I have a great team and many of the DMOs out there know them, but I, you know, I would encourage people to outreach to me. I'm very accessible and very responsive and can, if not answer their questions, connect them with the right folks who can. And again, thankfully, I have a great team who has really deep relationships uh, across the space. Great. Well, time for the bonus round question. As those who listen in often know, I'm always intrigued at how the best and the brightest arrive in the destination marketing space. 
because at least for we veterans, we sure as hell couldn't go to school for this. So in one of our most recent DMOU episodes, Little Rock's Gretchen Hall said it was her experience as a collegiate basketball player that was her ticketed to DMOs. So what was yours? I wish mine was as exciting as Gretchen's. You know, I listened to that podcast and thought, wow, that's cool. That's really cool. Mine, you know, as you said, at the time I was in school and studying, travel and tourism was really the furthest thing from my mind. Although I did initially intend to study international business, the way I got into this uh, was I wanted to live on campus uh, summer of my freshman year. And as someone who was paying for college himself, you know, that meant I had to find someone who was going to pay for housing for me for the summer. I went to Hofstra University on Long Island, and they ran a summer conference program that included housing. And I thought, oh, this is great. You know, this is perfect. I get this job. And I had another job lined up, too. So I have two jobs for the summer and uh, applied for the job and didn't get it, actually. And so now I couldn't work the other job because I didn't have any place to live and couldn't afford to pay for a place to live. So I, I went in and I asked, you know, why I didn't get this job and ended up having a long conversation and make a long story short, ultimately did get the job and got a position sort of working at the front desk. Uh, which was located in our student center. So, you know, if you can imagine, you know, not the most glamorous check-in spot for people arriving for a conference. And so I decided to kind of dress it up and make it feel a little bit more like, uh, you know, a hotel. And we ordered some lamps and things like that that made it feel more like a hotel. And my boss at the time, who was one of the best mentors that I've had in my life, just was so impressed by this very small steps that I took to try to... Uh, make the conference program seem more professional, uh, that I ended up spending five years with that program. And then from there became a meeting planner. And that was when I first learned about convention and visitors bureaus as a meeting planner. And I can remember reading through uh, meeting news at the time and thinking, gosh, that'd be a great side of the industry to work in someday. Wow. Uh, and sure enough, a year or so later, had an opportunity to join a, a startup DMO and have never ventured far from the DMO space uh, since. That's great. We're glad that you haven't ventured too far from the space because you do so much for our industry. Thank you for so much. Please pass along our sector's thanks to the leaders at TripAdvisor that have donated $1 million to help struggling travel and hospitality workers. I absolutely will. And thanks so much for the time, Bill. It's always great talking with you as one of the brightest minds in, uh, in our industry. I always learn something from you. So thanks for that, too. Thank you for that. Oh, and thanks for bringing me back into the Star Trek universe with your endorsement of Picard a few months back. <laughs> Unbelievable. Can't wait for the next season. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. You know, when you recommend something, you know, you worry, oh, am I really recommending something you're going to like? So I'm glad that you liked it. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're from TripAdvisor. That's what you do. You, you recommend things. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody, Picard and Discovery, both are stellar, no pun intended. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU. Com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Converse Digital. Tom Martin and his team instinctively ideate and innovate ways to create painless prospecting. You can learn more about his work at ConverseDigital.com, or you can also find a link to score his book called The Invisible Sale. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet. That's DMOPros.com with a Z. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.